Greetings, rabble rousers. My name is Jessa McLean. Welcome to Blueprints for Disruption, a weekly discussion dedicated to amplifying activism across Turtle Island. Together, we will examine tactics, explore motivations, and celebrate successes in disrupting the status quo. This podcast is a proud part of New Left Media. Welcome to another deep dive inside the NDP. From Leighton to Singh, the 20-year struggle for the NDP's soul. Now that's the title of a new book coming out, and right away, I know some of you are going to feel that subtitle, Struggle for the NDP's Soul. The book's author is here with us, Matt Fodor, a political scientist and a progressive. We're going to talk about some of the themes that come up in the book. Themes, you know, we often hit on here at Blueprints of Disruption when we discuss the NDP. Things like the party's drift to center, its disenfranchisement of its members, and its authoritarian approach to organizing. What is new about this discussion is the detail and the explanations Matt is to be is able to provide after countless interviews and all of his research. Matt's book, From Leighton to Sing, The 20-Year Struggle for the NDP Soul, pins down just when the NDP decided to start disregarding resolutions passed at convention, appealing to the business class, watering down our messaging, and essentially destroying the roots of the party. In his book and in this discussion, Matt provides the party's well-paid consultant class's rationale, uh, even if terribly flawed, and reveals just how deliberate all of this was. So for folks out there who have felt gaslit while decrying the drift to center or the complete erasure of your voice within the party, this one is for you. Now, we've spent many episodes proving those experiences are real, the repercussions are real. What this episode will provide, hopefully, is the the proof you need it wasn't a series of mistakes, and it surely isn't your imagination. It has all been by design. So buckle up, it's not a pretty discussion, but as always, the goal is to inform in order to disrupt. Our hope is folks learn from these discussions because we need to be able to identify power structures in order to challenge them. We need to know who is calling the shots and why. Now, I didn't want to give away all of the juicy details that Matt has in his book, in this podcast episode, so be sure to pick up a copy when it comes out on October 18th. Let's just jump right into the discussion. There's a whole bunch of folks that are trying to figure out, you know, how we got from the roots of what we know the party to be, you know, based in socialism to what many people see today. So a lot of people weren't even born at its creation and surely did not see this transition. But to take that interest that you have and take it to the next level and actually write and publish a book, um, what was your motivation there? You know, well, it was, it was, my motivation is interesting. I um, have been writing about the NDP for many year many years um, in places like Rabble, um, in the the Socialist Project Bullet. I've written several articles, um, sort of a, been. A sort of a left cr- critic of the NDP, um, in a sense, but somebody who wanted to, you know, somebody with the, in, obviously with the, the idea that that you know the, the, that it could be, you know, that 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 activists should be, should try to should try to push to make it better, but be aware of its limitations, 
And I think that's been kind of the motivation of my writing. So I've been writing a lot about it. Um, I, I do, I've been doing a doctoral dissertation about it, um, which is still not completed. But I was approached. Um, I had I was to write the book by uh, a left-wing activist who was then at the time working um, as a, I guess, working with uh, Lorimer Press. And he had known about my work. Um, I was at an event with uh, Nikki, uh, Nikki Ashton had hosted an event at the Rhino Bar in Toronto um, with Linda McQuaig and it was a discussion about it was a, it was a discussion on a very well in, dis, organ, um, well attended and interesting event on public ownership because at the time she was the party's I think she was a I think she had some cr critic position on public ownership at that time she did before they took it away from her that's right they really took it away from her for that Greece um so um, they're going to Greece to visit her sick grandmother, and they and they decided to kick her out of the her leadership role, um, critic role. But th so I was actually approached. So I, I'm I'm to write the book, and I instead of instead of in, this is during the this was during twenty most of twenty twenty one when we were still largely in the lockdown. So I threw aside so I threw aside my uh, dissertation focus and started writing the book because there was there was such an there was such an interest in this and interestingly um things really came to fruition just as i was finishing up was just as the 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 deal was happening obviously that was that was this was in this the winter of 2020 this was this was uh i guess january 21 that i was approached so there was obviously there was it, it, it you know there hadn't the singer just faced his first election and you know we didn't know it was you know what was gonna you know we, we didn't know it was we didn't know what was going to come to be of that um you know we didn't see the pandemic coming we didn't see <laughs> we didn't see the you know the, the truckers occupation we didn't see the we didn't see the deal so but interestingly this book just came into was just concluding we were just finishing up just as this these events this year, early this year, with the with the with the Ottawa occupation and the, the the deal with the Liberals are coming into into place. I mean, yeah. So you do hit on that. You're kind of starting at the the end uh, and giving away the spoiler. I mean, reading your conclusion, you seem to think highly of the deal. Am I mischaracterizing your? I don't. I'm I'm kind of I'm to, I'm kind of agnostic on the deal, um, to be honest, um, because I see it. I mean, I think it. You know, I, I, I you know, I, 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 I kind of, I don't. I see it as largely the liberal. It's kind of asking the liberal party or demanding the liberal party impose its own, its own electoral, its own electoral agenda from the twenty twenty one election. And the NDP itself has become a sort of, you know, it's become itself a, a force of small l liberalism in Canada, right? Like it's become a party where it's, it's the sign that the. I mean, I talk. I mean, the book talks about a conflict between the socialist left or activist left versus the orange, li the power-seeking orange liberals um, who run the party. And this was a this was the kind of deal. And short of getting short of getting power themselves, being being junior partners and true with with the Trudeau liberals and getting a few things done is like the second second best option in a sense. I want to you know give odd 
the audience must go read this book uh, when it's released. Matt, at the end, we'll kind of make sure we get all your details there on, on how folks can get a copy. But the last line here, I think, speaks to quite a few episodes that we've done, uh, not just on the NDP, but, you know, rings true a little bit through the uh, interview with we had with Dimitri and the Green Party. Um, I'm just going to read it out here. You know, the consolidation of power by professionals over the first two decades of the 21st century had greatly hindered efforts to fundamentally transform and democratize the party. Now, in the context that you put that, you were talking about the most recent election, but I, you know, reading through it, it's clear that that's a theme that began right from, uh, you know, as far back as 2008, really. Uh, and you, you call the book From Leighton to Sing, but you do start much earlier than that. And I think those are real critical years that you cover in the first few chapters there. I'd like to get into those a little bit. I don't want to give away too much because, like I said, folks really need to like Matt said, this is a real academic, in-depth, um, but like easy read on just how we got from a, a progressive platform, a genuine progressive platform designed through resolutions to a really manufactured um, liberal-esque or worse uh, platform that is you know, really just drafted by very few people. And and Matt points out many times where it's clear it's out of touch with membership, with, with most of membership, not just this uh, socialist left, right? Like it's it was out of touch with the public and, and members. But starting at the beginning of your book, really um, the shift to uh, federal control as uh, one of the things that kind of hit me first, uh, where the the feds really got, the federal party of the NDP really got involved in, I'm using scare quotes, it's organizing. Uh, but really, I think it was just a... Power consolidation. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is why you're writing the books. Uh, but yes, it, it was all about top-down control and being able to manipulate the candidate search process, not just get it done, um, right? So that it could be crafted in a way uh, that democracy really shouldn't be. You know, it should be completely organic um, right. if, if it's structured properly. But the bit that got me was, you know, they explicitly, I think now what happens is they ex come off as a, pro they use progressive messaging, right? The way that they adopted the Leap Manifesto in name um, and they fool progressives into thinking that it, it is a progressive party but there was a time where they explicitly say like especially when Brian Top gets involved that there's going to be a shift away from the members being able to influence the messaging where did you find all of this information and were there like aha moments for you that helped explain like just where where it all started yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I think Jack Layton was a very interesting character because he was known for being, he was he was a man very much respected and trusted by the left and social movements. His background is, um, is, is, is 
more mixed than than that. Like he really brought in a prof- he really but he really brought in a professional team that was that was that really was at the end of the day fixated on on media attention and winning elections and saying we're serious we're worse you know in, in order to be taken seriously we need to put aside some of the 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 old NDP in order to in order to you know to have the media treat us better in order to, and and you know we need to be more professional and so on. Um, just as, just as other social democratic parties around the world have done, um, I found to me reading Brad Levine's uh, memoir to be absolutely very revealing. He doesn't. I'll, go, I'll give him. I'll give him credit that he's not. He doesn't pretend to be anything that he's not. He's very explicit in his. Um, I think I have some quite. I think I have some interesting quotes from uh, Levine in the. In the book, which people can read, um, but it's very, very explicit that we're, you know, that we're not about. He's, he's kind of like we're not about ideology. We're about we're about we're, you know we're, we need to put aside left versus right, and you know, and we need to move on to quote relevant issues, and so on. Um, I found his I found re, re, his um, memoir extremely revealing because he doesn't he openly talks about how the for example, how the, the the how conventions are basically you know they should be media showcases and that people in, inside the convention need to be mindful of that. So he sort of he almost he almost proudly takes um, he's pr- pr- almost proudly or does proudly I guess talk about how you how how you know democracy and the party have been streamlined in order to get media attention. So I found Levine's um, revelation very interesting. I also, um, several years ago, before, long before writing the book, I had done interviews with Top, Brian Top, and Brad Levine, Ed Broadbent, and other people in the NDP. And yeah, you could, you could see the um, Peggy Nash also. Um, and you could see, you know, that this, you know, you, you got to hear this modernization agenda, and they were. For, you know, they were all, for the most part, very... Well, the people I spoke to, for the most part, were very um, supportive or saw the necessity for it. So, yeah, I think, I think, I think the, um, I think I, t- I mean, I do talk about the... I thought the Halifax Convention in 2008 was a, was another, which I talk about quite a bit in the book, is another... Some people are more critical, like, I mean, not, not, I mean, modernization was interestingly... It's a term that they use, um, yeah, it's a term that they use just to move to the to the center and get media attention. You know, that's, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just a term that, you know, try to, it's kind of makes it sound like it's a necessity. It's, it's like you don't even have to talk about the policies anymore. It's just some, it's just some bureaucratic necessity, right? That we have to, we have to do. It's not, you know, it's not, it, there's no ideology behind it. They just, it's just, it's just, it, it, and there obviously is. And you can see them and you draw these parallels in your book and like great examples of how they try to model themselves, you know, after a lot of things, but the Democratic Party in the United States, which a lot of leftists take serious issue, you know, there's a real lack of democracy in the United States as well. So it's it's actually disheartening to see that, and maybe at a time that was considered modernizing the party. Obama was successful in electoral gains, but not in substantive gains for the populace, right? So it, like this trade-off of our values for really short-lived gains. Um, 
not short-lived for everyone though because you do make a note that I wanted to make make a point of that a lot of the careerists uh you know there are themes of people that are staples throughout the book that have left legacies of this professionalism Matt discusses um and they have made careers out of it um so they drift between the provincial wings and the federal wings and work on they've got their hands on all kinds of campaigns but also are you know then rewarded in the private and public sectors as consultants and um i don't think that signaled obvious and i don't think you imply this either as you know the the these sectors embracing the ndp now as you know uh, meaningful contributors to whatever that they're doing it was i think you know rewarding them for pushing this party to the center and and the way that you can appear to be a progressive option sometimes they failed at that miserably as well but how and meanwhile still be promoting neoliberal ideology and and not having to sell out the capitalists uh so like that was in high demand that kind of campaigning but now that isn't modern at all is it We've seen like that the big organizing that we're seeing that's successful for progressives in the United States is just being ignored here, right? Like there is no sign of that in your book at all because it's they have just stayed with that that pattern that they started at the beginning of your book. It's just that's what we're experiencing still. There's been no continued quote unquote modernization. No, no, they haven't. I mean, they've. Uh... You know, I mean, they do. I mean, they do identify, I guess, to some extent, with the Sanders and the squad to some extent. Um, but by but by and large, they have not. You know, they have not um, embraced the the. Um, they they have not they have not like us in the Sanders campaign. They did, they have not been interested in building a mass based movement of the of the of the working class that Sanders has tried to, and, and activists that Sanders has tried to do in, in against the. Again, you know, a sort of against the, the one percent or the or the or the um, I guess billionaire class. You could say the capitalist class or uh, what have you. The one percent, you know, they continue to you know they continue they, they kind of ret- yeah I would say they rhetorically, nod to it because, you know, it's very interesting in the in the last election they did they did get an endorsement from Bernie Sanders, um, in the twenty twenty one election. Um, and I know, and I know, and I know why Sanders. I've I've read Sanders' uh, bio, and he is um, he has said, said in the past he support he that the the U.S. you know like a lot of U.S. progressives has said that the we need something like the NDP in Canada, right? So it's not surprising that Sanders would would embrace the 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 NDP here, and they, and you know and. Um, um, but let me interject just a second though on the Bernie endorsement. I think that it was for Obama's. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of endorsements. Like, I'd rather have a Corbyn endorsement, to be honest. But right, th- the idea that he endorsed us is because it's the same reason a lot of people still volunteer for the NDP and still hold hope because really they still are the only quote unquote viable option on the left. So it's not so much that we are a shining star or an example that Bernie wants to look up to, um, but that it's uh, one of those anybody but conservatives or 
sort of approach. And that's, oh, hell, that's failed us for so long. Um, attack ads. You, you also talk about the history of attack ads. Uh, that is something I don't think, you know, rings well with membership either, but it's something they have persisted with. Um, why do you think, Matt, they continue these, a lot of these, what I consider failed strategies, and I think we've pointed to a lot of electoral failures here, more so a real failure to push the Overton window left, but like, why do they keep organizing this way? Why do they continue this professionalism route and not embrace uh, the membership? It's a good question. I mean, they really, it is interesting. I mean, membership at this point has almost become a relic to them, I find. It's something that, you know, it's something that, the, it's like the mass party days have passed. We still, we still have them, but they see the membership as a... You know, as 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 something, as something they, they want, they want, they want a loyal member. They want a loyal. They want a membership that donates. You know, tweets, pros. You know, retweets, jog meet sings. You know, on you know, and, on social media. You know, you know, promotes the party, knock volunteers on elections, but they really don't want. They really don't want an act. They really don't want an active, independent-minded membership. At all, they, 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 you know, and I, and I, re, I'm reading, I'm reading now, um, this, uh, a, a bit about the, uh, election for the leadership of the BC NDP right now, which I find to be very interesting, where Jolly Apaguri is running as a, a kind of an ins, a left insurgent candidate when they were just, um, you know, they were just hoping for a coronation for, um, for David uh, Eby. Um, and now she's signing up, you know, now she's signing up a uh, lot of people and they fear the idea of a, a mass membership based party, right? They're doing everything they can to, to stop her. Right. That was very interesting that the party's membership, it, I was, I was quite striked to read that apparently the, the membership of the BC NDP dropped to 11,000. This is a province where they have, this is their strongest province and they're in power there. So they really don't see the member. They really don't. They really don't want to. They really don't want a party membership that you know that's that's uh, that's. Um, they really don't want them to have the messy, you know, to have the me the messy situation of a, a party membership that may take positions that that the leadership fears. They want. They want. They want a membership that's 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 sort of that's loyal and you know and and, and you would know far better than me about the tricks that they play um, in order to get, you know, the resolutions defeated or the, the, either the resolutions defeated or um, that they don't like or putting, or getting, or, you know, upping the, upping another, upping, upping, you know, another, you know, a, an official resolution or, you know, that kind of thing. You, you would, you probably know that better than almost anybody right now. So, well, you know what? I would like to get into that because the top of my note here, you know, I brought up Brian Top at the beginning and, his role and in moving away from resolutions being the base of the platform 
uh, how it was, you know, we might have something too radical or wasn't refined enough or whatever garbage uh, he was able to sell people at the time. And I just want to remind people, and a lot of Ontario NDP members will know this to be true, he still meddles in this process. He chairs a committee that gets to decide which resolutions get to the floor and which do not, which get which emergency resolutions are valid enough to stand and which are not. And uh, they use a litany of tricks. One, I want to just kind of let people know they might not understand why it's so difficult to even get resolutions passed, even though now Matt, you know, lets us know that explicitly they'll never use them to make a platform is labor delegates. Labor delegates are provided a list of which resolutions to support. And we know this actually started at the prioritization. So I guess maybe one of their consultants, Matt, thought, okay, we've we've reined them in too much. We're going to let them prioritize the resolutions at least, right? We'll appear to be democratic. And it's all done online and with no scrutineering whatsoever. And labor delegates are all told how to prioritize. Staff members whose bosses need a certain message to come across are also instructed on who, you know, they're members of the party as well. They're instructed on which resolutions to prioritize and then pass on the floor. So you don't just need to convince, you know, free thinking NDP members. You have to ask people to vote against their boss's instructions when you go to the floor and try to pass a resolution or you try to get elected. So this professionalism that Matt, you know, um, talks about we feel on the convention floor and in, in so many other ways that we've discussed on the show before, but they have done this for years now. And Anne McGrath is another central player that Matt gives us plenty of examples on how a key of a player she has been in silencing the membership as a whole and giving power over to the what I refer to as the consultant class of the NDP. And she to this day, uh, with a very, I would say, spotty um, losing record electorally, maintains such power is is beyond me. How we have not replaced these folks with something a little fresher. And that's not just a I think a comment on her age, but the fact that they're using the same tactics that you can date back to 2008 in your book, like, is there, do you want to talk about any other key shifts like that go beyond that? Uh, I mean, folks always talk about removing socialism from the constitution. That is a real sore point for a lot of people. A lot of people left then. Yeah, they did. Um, that was a, that was a very interesting, um, battle. Um, it was first, um, it was first unveiled after the, at the, uh, 2011, uh, convention, which had followed a, you know, an extraordinary victory, uh, like a breakthrough, uh, not victory, breakthrough in the 2011 election where they had the, the official opposition. That also happened to be the, the, the 50th anniversary of the founding of the NDP in 1961 was created out of the out of the CCF, um, and yes, this was presented as a, you know, it was, it was presented as a resolution saying, you know, the, and they presented that resolution at that convention. They said, you know, we got our 
30 per, we got our we got official opposition but we need this we need to win the next election in order to win in order to get to the next tier of voters in order to get you know in order to get to the next tier of voters we have to the socialism thing is holding us back right the, the as if most people voted for the, as if most people voted for Jack Layton and but the thing is Jack Layton people did not vote they, these leaders like Levine and top they believed that the 2011 election was a vindication of their centrist strategy that people had and the, and and they also seem to believe apparently that people look at the preamble to the party when they vote apparently and this preamble would would somehow stop people from you know certain the people preamble of our constitution our right? constitution that's, as if as if even like one in a hundred canadians care about that um and 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 um so they 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 it was it was but the 2011 election we should we should talk about that because that that's a that that was the, that was the high you know the high point of the NDP's you know center of this it's peak centrism right peak orange liberalism I guess right there right because this was a time after the 2008 election they came to the conclusion that we need to you know they had already moved I already t- I talked quite a bit about the move to some moves to the center um, in the you know in the 2004, 2006, and 2008 elections. Um, and we know from, you know, I talk about the first election out where, and you, you've already mentioned, mentioned this before, Jess, I think, where Brian Topp sort of said that we can't, we can't, we can't have an unwieldy, we, ha- we need to, we need to streamline and we can't, you know, we can't let an unwieldy, we can't have an unwieldy platform again. So they already were moving on. They already started moving to the to the center on issues like uh, on taxes, on 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 crime. They started moving more to the center already. Um, balanced budgets. Yeah, Mulcair is so a on. great example of that move to yeah. center. Yeah. I think. Yeah, we'll get, yeah, exactly. But this is happening before Mulcair. Right. Like, it, I mean, yes. This is happening under Layton, um, and the so you have. That already, but after the after the two thousand eight election, I think there's a they, they really start streamlining. They 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 really start streamlining the platform and saying, we can you know there's I talk about this in the book that after the two thousand eight election, they come to the conclusion that we got our we got our whatever got our we got our you know we, we you know because the party had had been in the in the uh, in the dole it had been you know on its practically practically on its deathbed before I mean. Before Jack had become the leader, and he had he revived the party back to a you know its normal you know eighteen percent of the seven I think seventeen eighteen percent of the vote a kind of nor you know historically normal so that okay we got our we got our electoral you know our traditional electoral base back, but now we want to replace but they you know they they suffer from these people in the latent um, the late the latent crowd really sees an opportunity to displace the liberals. During this time, this is a huge. I mean, this this is a huge theme going on in the late years, right? Because you have the defeat of uh, you have the you know the, you have the the liberals defeated after you know the Cretchen Martin liberals are defeated in two thousand and six, um, and they, they, they there's there's um, 
and there's an, there's sort of an opportunity. They see an opportunity to to replace the liberals on the center left because the NDP, the liberals have two disastrous leaders in Dion and Ignatieff. Um, so they see an opportunity to replace the liberals in order in order in, in which is a, which is you know their historic goal of the you know it's it's you know it is the historic goal of the the CCF NDP was to you know in part you know and it's not you know it's not it was to displace the liberals as the progressive option just as had happened with um, that that was a goal of the founders of the NDP in 1961. And you know they wanted to do what the the Labour Party did in Britain um, a century ago, and they. But the problem is increasingly they operate on the Liberals' turf in order to do that. They're not. They're not trying to. They, they're saying in order to replace the Liberals, we have to sound more like the Liberals. So Liberals in orange, in a sense. I repeatedly refer to them as orange Liberals in the book. Um, so they see. You know. So they target. You know, you see in 2011, they really target these disaffected liberals. That their focus groups tell them that Ignatieff is disliked. Yeah, those yeah, their focus groups tell them how Ignatieff they like they like Jack. They don't like Ignat. They don't like Ignatieff, and they but they also are a bit these but they're appealing to these voters who are kind of a bit skeptical of the the end of the traditional NDP. So that's who they're trying to reach. In 2011, so they dump their they, they they really streamline the platform. They make it really really a it really is a is a, it's a it's a pale comparison to even the previous latent platforms. Very third way, very it's it's big, it's big. I, if I recall correctly, the big the big um, platform thing was called the the one of their big one of the, they they got they had like five or six key pledges. One of them being reward the job creators. So when you say streamline, uh, that sounds like efficiencies, right? What it really was is nothing. Yeah, uh, nothing. Very little substance. It's substance free, right? It's like hire more doctors and nurses, reward the job creators, you know, deal with deal with uh, make clean up Ottawa, you know, uh, you to know be that fair, kind of thing. Those are winning campaigns now. I mean, they don't do anything for the Overton window, but I mean, that's what my my PC and my CPC uh, MPs send me as their flyer material, right? Like really no substance at all. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. it, it it works. That's the awful thing, though. You're right. This is this is anybody could do this, right? I mean, it's like you know, it's and they, you know they have a few they have a they have a few like they they dump they they also lose the. They don't. They, they really. They, they don't have any big, you know, transformative welfare. You know, they, they move away from any like, big state. What they what they perceive to be is like big spending programs. Um, Levine even Levine even mentions that we got to move away from in his memoir. We got to move away from these big multi billion dollar spending and you know, you know that kind of thing. So they really by twenty eleven, are a third way party. Um. But I would argue, and then of course there's, you know, there's also the, the, but I would argue that this is not the main reason that they had the breakthrough. And I think they really interpreted that move to the center um, as a a vindication of their, what they believe to be a brilliant strategy. Yeah, while ignoring all of the political conditions that existed at the time, which they had no control over. They had it, he got, no, it was a, it was a fluke. Uh, that breakthrough. Um, people, you know, you know, they had, you had the, you had the, they had, they had the, you know, you had, you had the Liberal Party was in very poor state, and you had, you know, 
you had a situation in Quebec, a, vol- a very volatile situation in Quebec. So you had the collapse. You had their very, lo- you know, so they they capitalized off that. And, I, and in Quebec, the you know, the, in Quebec, Jack was was very popular, no doubt. But nobody could. T- they thought he was a nice guy, but they really couldn't tell you what his policies were. Um, that's the idea, know. though, right? Then they can't hold you to any of them. That's right. That's right. You know, and you know, and you know, and and of course the liberal, and of course the liberals, um, you know, Ignatiev was a disaster, and Jack had that moment where he, you know, <laughs> and he, he, I'm, I'm amazing. I mean, it, it, he's lucky it worked that Ignatiev act this 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 that Ignatiev this 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 uh, this this brilliant intellectual. Was uh, like fell fell for, was so easily fell for, for the trap, but they you know they had been they had been prepping for this like you didn't show up for work to Ottawa that was focus group tested, all oh, it wasn't it wasn't just some you know, off the cuff like thing it was something that they prep pre prepped for, and you know you know you had so in other words you had all these you had the perfect storm the perfect conditions and they read it as a vindication of their strategy when it really was, was just a fluke I mean you had a situation. Where, you know, very, you know, for, for, you know, up until they went up until the 2011 election, they were bare, you know, they were making, they were, you know, these, these great, most of their great plans weren't really bearing much fruit at all. I mean, they were, you know, they're gaining a few seats, you know, a small increase in the popular vote, but nothing, nothing, you know, nothing, nothing dramatic. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, and they go into the election where 13, you know, when they enter, they actually enter the 2011 election at 13% in the polls. Um, so they, they actually thought they were going to lose seats. But then the last two weeks, just something extraordinary conditions just sort of blew up and they got lucky, basically. You know, that was really what happened in 2011, but it was not, but, the, but it's not because of like, a discard of socialism or embrace of the or the embrace of the or or embrace of the of the center or anything like that. It just it just it just they just they be, basically I read the twenty eleven election as a you know a fluke. Yeah, I think a lot. If there's one election that NDP members sit around and talk about and theorize on, it's that one. And I don't think anybody has ever. In, at least in my circles, which tend to be pretty left and frustrated. Um, don't see the yeah, that is any success of the the professional class or the top down approach, but um, pure luck and charisma. Uh, and I wanted to talk about that as well, because even, you know, in the title of your book, "From Leighton to Sing," those are two leaders' names. You mark the eras, uh, you know, t- by the leader at the time, and I see the leadership cult that we've also used as a strategy has failed us. So not only has it been about simplifying the message and controlling the writing associations or essentially marginalizing members, but it's about building almost everything around one person at a time. And when Leighton left, like that was... um, it was really hard to replace that personality and his personality played a huge role in his political career. And, you know, he had a dedication to a lot of issues. I'm not just saying it was his smile and the way he could speak. Um, But, you know, we've done the same with Jagmeet. 
and all of our dollars have gone into building this up and we've not really been fruitful in that way. Like we've not been able to replicate uh, that kind of leadership appeal either. You know, Jagmeet is popular on social media, but it doesn't translate into the votes that Jack was able to capture, you know, uh, for whatever reason. Um, yeah, that, what do you think about the focus on leaders, even though, you know, you, your book actually talks a lot more about the staff and the processes behind it than the actual impact of leaders, to be honest, right? Like, um, you do give credit where credit is due, but we've really fixated on them as a whole. And well, the staff, the continuity, that's the continuity, right? Is it was with the staff and jug me to what I can, I, I can tell is Jagmeet has really been um, freed of any of the any real bureaucratic or, or <laughs> managerial role in, in a lot of ways. Um, even though he is the leader of the party, he's he's really a a spokesman and a salesman for the party. Um, he just does not seem. He just not. I mean, I I from what I am told, he's very. Uh, he's not. He's not very. He's he's very uninvolved in in. Um, a lot of the big decisions, and and I think that he's. I feel like it's you know really the staffers really run the show there essentially. I think I think it's just this, he's 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 part he's the piece that he's the he's the he's the salesman he's the charisma. Um, but it's you know it's it's kind of yeah it's a, it's a, it's it's like it's like you know it feels like that you know it feels like it's feels like it's I mean I think I think you referred to it we become an advertising agency did you not. Something like that. Yeah, no, that was one of my tweets that went particularly viral. And it was the position I took when we we continually lost and, and centered it around a Jagme personality and the TikToks and very little yeah. substance. That's right. That's right. That's right. I mean, you can do you can be like that social media. But people want to think, are you do they think? But are you going to govern? Are you somebody who's going to govern the country? You know, <laughs> govern the country? And do you have the ground? And do you have the ground troops there to actually, you know, motivate the vote? Do, do you actually have the ground troops and organization in order to get your voters out, or is it, or do you just expect, you know, some people to be to be like your TikToks and think you're the nicest of the leaders, and that will that will get you in? It doesn't. No, because to answer your question, no, they don't have enough ground troops anymore. Because, I mean, you talk about that that 2011 shift that or, you know, celebration uh, that Brad takes credit for. And that streamlining you talk about and the abandoning of some real core principles and uh, policy items that members would have been adamant be included. What that did is, I think you, you characterized it, or I don't have the quote, but like as a betrayal of the movement's that had typically supported the party and knew that that would be, you know, uh, the best partisan bet for them. Because I, I see that was definitely, there was definitely a break in the ability for a lot of groups to then align themselves ever again in a partisan way or to trust uh, this so-called progressive party. So, that impact has been felt on the ground, right? Where you can convince people that Jagmeet is the friendliest because I think they've done that. You know, I think the polls show that 
he is well liked in that way, but you then have to get people physically to the polls. You have to motivate them to take time out of their day to choose you because they think it will change your life, not because you're cool. That's not enough. They'll give you a like, no problem, and 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 members will retweet you, but will they spend their weekends walking door to door during a pandemic? <laughs> the answer was no. The answer was absolutely no. The membership, you talked about BC's membership numbers, and I, I don't know how forthcoming the party is, but from my personal experience, I've Many, many have walked away. I've known many riding associations that have just completely folded, uh, which not only is probably five or six members at least or more that are no longer involved, but that that entire electoral district has then been cut off for any ability to really tap into the community there. But (laughs) like you said, right, and that line, I wrote it down, that line that you said earlier that the membership is really just seen as a relic even though I'm, I know that to hear you say that was hurtful. And because I think of all the people out there still working really hard for them, and they are. But you, you're right. But I, and yeah, I think it, people it, need to hear I that. I honestly just came up with that thought that today. Like, you know, I want to say there's something I was thinking about the role of membership, and, and I felt that they were just being, it's like, a, it's like, it's a corporate, it's like a corporate takeover, you know? It's like stream, you know, streamlined out of existence. Efficiency. It's like the capitalist corporate mentality that's sort of taken over the the even the, it's even taken over the party of the grassroots and of working people. And it is just it you know it's happened you know with unions too, and um, it's really you know it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a sad reality. Um, now, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I think that's something that, you know, you, you know, people can continue, can continue, and if they want to make a better NDP, they should perhaps continue with that if they have it. But they've really, but every, every, everything they, everything you do, you run into these traps because they're not going, they don't want um, to lose control of the party. They don't want to lose control of the party. And, and, you know, even, and, when they when if in that rare situation that they that it does happen that you know there's uh they would they would actually probably campaign that they would probably if if the left actually took over the party these people would probably try to you know would probably engage in sabotage and like they, they did and they, they like well, they would like they did with the labor party under Corbyn we can look to the east coast uh, where they've. Their leadership in the East Coast NDP parties has progressively gotten more leftist, uh, even being run by open socialists. And to talk to people from the East Coast, they'll tell you that the federal party just abandoned them altogether. And they're essentially persona non grata at convention where Horgan is paraded out and given time to speak um, uh, as a, you know, <laughs> hard centrist that drives most of the members up the wall that, you know, we continue to have these celebrate these centrists um you you go over the rise and fall of notley as well and seemingly her rises are tied to being more progressive at least in messaging um and and then you know the demise being the opposite so yeah it still leaves us scratching our heads as to you know why they continue these patterns but um you talk about 
people's trying to change the party. But I think like what I got from your book that reinforced what I think a lot of us have experienced firsthand is how many years they've had to feel the pushback of membership and how they've continually then designed the structure and the committees and the constitution and the convention and the candidate search in ways that will prevent any kind of change back to the way it was, uh, where the writings and the membership hold sway over messaging, over the democratic processes of the party. Uh, They have worked really hard over many years, faced many scenarios, and I think they know how to shut every one of them down. And I think BC is seeing that. The folks there, you know, they came to me and they came to a lot of progressives, not like me in particular, asking for help, you know, in any way that we could, because absolutely they want to stop a coronation. Matt, you characterized that that superbly um, of what we call the establishment, a continuation of the status quo that that Matt lays out in his book. And what we're seeing is just like they will do everything anything. So members may know this by now that they actually asked the Green Party to release their membership list to a third party and they would do the same, share lists and compare to make sure that Green members weren't coming over and flooding the party to vote for their opposition. And I thought that was, and then when I'm reading through your manuscript, I thought that was incredible because at one point, they knew that that was key to draw over green voters. And now that they're maybe succeeding, or at least the grassroots activists within the party are succeeding in doing this, it's like, nope, actually, we changed our mind. We don't want to they're appeal, not that way. We don't want to, appeal way. to other voters. <laughs> how, how dare you sign up members from another party? Um, where do they think folks are going to be finding new members? And But I think Besides that, that's not the real reason, right? Like, it's not, they will do anything to stop her. They well, will they don't do want, anything. They don't, want, they don't want a radical activist to become <laughs> the premier of British Columbia. Um, you laugh, but that's what the members want. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. you talk about Rebecca Blakely's uh, post-election survey in 2015 there. And I didn't know about that, although, you know, I probably should have. But it was clear even members then even were opposed to this approach. Um, but donations have not dwindled. They, st- like, we are breaking donation records. And I can't figure that out because there is a real membership disengagement. There is lack of electoral success. But somehow they are still able to raise the money. For all the good that it does, it does no good. That's the spoiler alert. No good. Those money, That money that you've put into the party has done no good. But but they continue to do it. So Anne McGrath keeps getting paid, uh, you know, and good gig. <laughs> it is a good gig, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I guess that's, that answers our question as to why they keep repeating these strategies. They've turned us into just donors. That's, and I guess if they don't give you avenues, I feel like I just had an epiphany. <laughs> if they don't give you avenues to participate meaningfully, 
they only leave you donations as the way to to maybe stop the liberals or the conservatives, right? So they, because fear is very prominent in their messaging on top of attack ads, right? Like an urgency, like you have to donate now because like we have to stop this and that and the other thing, um, because there is no other avenue for members to fight back against the rise of the right. They they the only option you ever get in those emails is to give over money. Um, Always, repeatedly, they're, they're infamous. These 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 donations, right? They, they email you like you know like how many times. It, how many times do you get an email saying it's we gotta get we gotta break some fundraising record by midnight like t- tomorrow or something like that you know or else like you know the the fate of the fate of Canada or humanity or whatever depends on it. <laughs> you you talk about vote share a lot in the book you know to compare the the success and failure and seats gained and that's that's obvious way to do it and you know the the people running the party now the only thing they have to brag about is the amount of money they can raise but what i would like to see accurately measured and i don't know if there is a way is what all of these changes the shift to center the strategies that they've adopted that you so well lay out um what that has done for membership engagement so that is you know boosting the party in between elections because there's not really much to talk about or how many people are giving in hours of volunteerism during the election. And I, you know, I think that is when you're trying to build a movement, because most of us, that's what we're trying to do, right? It's a political revolution we're after. Uh, We need people, people, not uh, money is good. Money is obviously going to be a key part of it. Unfortunately, we'd love to take money out of politics, but it's there. It is that evil necessity, but we need people most of all. And I don't, that discussion doesn't seem to happen in your book. No fault of yours because you're reiterating what's happened uh, to the party. And other than how we talk about pushing members and their ideas down, we don't hear them again in the book. Not really. They, they, they seem to have just stopped playing a role. Did you interview a lot of... I know um, you did talk to me. I'm not like an internal party member. I I would be considered just like a a grassroots member. Did you talk to other grassroots members to get... Yes, I have. Yes, I have spoken to... I've spoken to uh, grassroots members um, as well as, you know, previous... did have some discussions with some of the inside... some of the inside bureaucrats and a lot of former... uh, several... uh, uh, a few MPs and former MPs. Um, Speaking of MPs and MPPs, what I find disheartening, um, you you talk about at one point, like there's really been not a lot of pushback over the years, this drift to center from the caucus. Uh, Save for, well, even what happened to Mulcair was not necessarily entirely driven by the caucus, right? Um, But... I think like there's only been really one exception that I can think of over all the years I've been involved. Okay. Is Nikki, Nikki Ashton, in terms of criticizing this drift to center and continuing to push more leftist policies rather than using the catchphrases that some of the other uh, MPs that are popular use, but uh, actually doing the work and, and private member bills that 
could be transformative. And then it's not supported by the party. But they must see her popularity. And do they not, like, want some of that for themselves? Do they, you know, not see a value in some of the MPs that happen to activate a, a different contingent of members? We hit, we hit upon um, the treatment of Nikki Ashton by the party, you know, who I consider the real only... Uh, Leah Gazan, I'm sorry, um, has been also um, pretty vocal and then independent in her pursuit of, you know, actual social justice and economic justice. But how would you explain, knowing what you know and what you've researched, the treatment that Nikki gets um, from the party? We've talked about the control of members, but not really of the MPs or MPPs. Hmm. Well, they don't want they don't want anybody they don't want anybody too independent and not and somebody and they want they want somebody who's you know they want loyalty to the to the leader. You know, it's very important. It's very important. And she represent and obviously if she had, um, you know her her whole her leadership campaign was very much based on you know very very much directly or oriented towards disaffected members. And activists, she wanted it. You know, she wanted her, she wanted to be something like the. She really wanted something like the. You know, she really wanted a, a party of, of uh, socialists and movements, um, democratically. You know, and and and, and you know and uh, and accountable to the grassroots. And that's the last thing they they want. And you know, had you know, the, you know she did not have the, the the numbers. But you know, had she had had she had won, I'm sure she would have absolutely gotten. Corbin treatment. Yeah, she did. She is getting it. She is getting it. Like she is getting it. I mean, she would have. They would have undermined. They would have undermined her. Um, had she, you know, <laughs> they, 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 they do, and you know that they will. You know, she still, she still gets elected, and she still gets elected in in, uh, in her constituency, and they don't want to. They don't want to. They don't want to. Um, you know, not from them not trying to stop that, you know, like in the most recent election, the party went so far as to essentially sabotage her campaign with a press right, conference that, that featured that's right, that's right. a liberal candidate, uh, her liberal opponent. And when he spoke against Nikki, nobody said a word. He stood next to Jagmeet Singh and other members of the NDP caucus that were in uh, Manitoba. And Nikki was left out of this conference, and instead her opponent was included. Um, well, somebody supported her opponent. Um, sorry, was, you are correct. Yeah. That's right. It was a, a First Nations two chief. people. Two people who were partisan liberals supporting her opponent were at this press conference, and he said, "Actually, we're supporting." Yeah, and they said, "Oh, actually, you know, they, they said the they, he made this announcement. And he said, oh, I'm, he, I'm oh, I'm actually supporting the liberal candidate.'" And then the other fellow said, "Yeah, me too." <laughs> Complete embarrassment. Is it inept or is it deliberate? I, I don't know. No, it's deliberate. It's, I can I can guarantee you I have experienced their feigned mistakes so many times and spoken to so many organizers that I know for 100% fact all those times that we think like, oh, why is there a delay in releasing this? Or why is this process so frustrating? Uh, it's be, It's on purpose. It's not again. It's, 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 there is method to the madness. It is not just spectacular incompetence. Right. And I think a lot of people will feel really validated reading your book, Matt, because right now there's this uh, gaslighting 
that goes on where we are saying this is how the party is and everyone there is saying that's not true. Yet, those are the same people who have explicitly designed the party that way in years past. They felt years of heat and now have reframed their messaging so that they want to tell us that we are involved, that we are important, that we are valued. But meanwhile, they've created an apparatus that makes sure we cannot access any of that. And I think that's worse, at least if you knew, you know, members who saw this shift and, you know, can read, well, I, I'm not going to promote <laughs> Brad Levine's uh, memoir, but when they- Get in the library. Just read my interpretation. I, I get I get a lot of the key. Read my book. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Read Matt's book and know that- I talk, I, I get all the relevant Levine. Yeah, know these people <laughs> are proud- <laughs> Of turning the party this way. They are absolutely, absolutely yeah. proud of it. And now they've turned around to tell us that that's not actually what's happening. So like, for me, it what I, I just felt like there were so many excerpts that I needed to like share with people like I didn't because it's not out yet. But I was just like, so and so needs to know this because they always wonder why, why this, why that? How did it get this way? And when I'm reading through it, it was fun because if everyone, anybody's ever been in an in-depth discussion on why the NDP is so frustrating or maybe a chat group um, or on the new Demo chat Slack, right? We go at that a lot. And I felt like this was a real collection of all the answers in chronological order um, with context that allowed us to explain how we got from where we were to where we are now and even the people to blame for it which is really fun (laughs) Um, because those people are still within the party and they still heavily influence the party and they need to go like if you folk I'm I'm just don't have any energy for that at the moment. But if there's folks there that are determined to change the party, they need to, to see these names. They need to know these processes so that they have any chance at fighting them. And that's essentially what my show is always for, Blueprints of Disruption. So you, by providing, Matt, the, the context on how it was done and why it was done, I think you're going to help people disrupt that. Do you, is that any of intention, or is that just a welcomed uh, side effect? I think I think I'd like to think it's I'd like to think I I'm, I'm helping with that. Um, I think people I think people need to be aware. I'm not telling people what to do, but I want people to be aware of what the part. Except, well, yes, that's right. Buy the book. Buy buy ten copies, please, and sell, you know get every relative and friend to buy one, please. Um, and, and when I'm telling people what the party is, I have to. I really want to sound in sober analysis. I have to say that I get a bit frustrated a bit. I mean, I guess I'm going to, we're not burning bridges with some people who might be promoting my book or, 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 or saying nice things about me, but. Um, they probably don't listen to me. <laughs> well, I mean, they might, I think they do. Um, I think there's some people who do because these are, these are left, these are left some of the left critics um, as well. They often write these, these articles saying like, if only the NDP, you know, the NDP should stop being liberals and they should realize that, you know, the, the NDP, the NDP must do this. The NDP should do this. If they, if they only realize that like the, the a leftist strategy is better than a centrist strategy, you know, they could, they could make gains. But I want people to understand the internal workings of the party. It's not just a, it's not just a misguided, it's not just a misguided understanding of centrism versus left, 
right? This is this is this is this is a repeated pattern for twenty years, and I don't think they're just I don't think they're just numbskulls who don't understand that left that the 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 end that the federal NDP would do better, you know, the numbskulls who just who realize that they, we already have a liberal party, and the NDP would do better if they were if they were more leftist. I think there there are serious structural barriers to democratic participation, grassroots participation in the NDP. Um, and it's, it's also, a, you know, and they're, and they're, pow and they're a power-seeking party as well. I mean, I want to, I talk quite a bit about, in the book, about the, the role of provincial parties. Like, I talk about, particularly about the, you know, Horgan, uh, the BC NDP under Horgan and also the Alberta, under P, Alberta NDP under Rachel Notley as well. And I think that, you know, I think that, that this is something to be, it's very interesting because they, you know, they, they you know, in, in British Columbia, in Manitoba, in Alberta, the NDP is, functionally is the Liberal Party in a way. Very much so. The small, they're, they're, they are functionally, you know, they're functionally the Liberal Party in, in those provinces. And ideologically. Right, it's, ideologically, it's, ideologically and functionally, right? They, 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 they. Um, I mean, I talk about you know, like you know, you know, them, and they don't, you know, and and when the NDP, you know, and and you know, you know, and people like John Horgan, in the end of the day, are more powerful and important than Jagmeet Singh. So you know, Jagmeet Singh leads a fourth party in in a fourth place party in Ottawa. Horgan is a premier, running the third largest province. Um, and, you know, when they want to talk about, you know, when they want to talk about governing, they all say, well, look at John Horgan. And that's what an NDP, you, you don't, don't just want to know what NDP, what an NDP government is like. Look at John Horgan. That's, 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 in, that's social democratic governance. That's NDP governance. And that's scary, especially if yeah. you're, a, you know, a land defender or. Yeah. Or environment. Yeah, exactly. Environmentalist. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 this party is a, you know, his party is a complete. You know, there's there's nothing there's no there's nothing like really leftist at all about this this part this party you have you know it's you know it's it's um it's you no know, it's functionally been turned in the British Columbia had, NDP had an interesting history of being a very class based party um and there was a history there of really of real of um, you know British Columbia for a long time was interesting because it had a really late it was it really had the most class polarized politics of any jurisdiction in North America. You know, based on its, you know, based on the, you know, because so it has it has a history of labor struggles and and um, of radical labor struggles and and a lot and a lot of one in just, you know in you know in you know industri industri you know in mining and in forestry towns where you had you know a real you know which side are you on mentality right so for a long time the NDP was and and the media there had been. Absolutely ruthlessly anti NDP. They had the they always they always had some sort of free enterprise. It was always about the free enterprise coalition. Um, they whether it's the BC Liberals or Social Credit before that. There's a, they always tried to you know they always they always had they, they always had a, like a, a free enterprise coalition in order to stop the socialists right, and that that went on until you know until through the nineties. It was like a really long time um, that. Um, that the, the, this the that the um that the NDP um had been you know been was was um was treated as this this socialist you know these the socialist hordes right and now Horgan is completely <laughs> I like that. Wins in the 
Yeah. I'm writing that one down. Now, social sports the gate, right? And this was the kind of, you know, this was, you know, and I mean, I, there's actually a lot to criticize about the, the you know, I don't want to idealize the, the, that situation, but, you know, but, but Horgan really threw a juggernaut into that. I talk about it in the book, into that, you know, he, he, they could no longer, Horgan did was he, they could no longer credibly call the part, you know, the, the, the whole idea of a free enterprise versus, you know, versus the socialist dynamic has been tossed away because Horgan is just, Horgan is a, a centrist technocrat, you know, it's not, you know, and, and it's, and, no, and, no, and you just can't red bait the guy at all. <laughs> You know, so you know, I've never you know, and and actually, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna reveal. I'm gonna reveal something about the. I'm to talk about this. It's actually a bit. Another. This is this is something that's not in the book, so I don't have to. So I, I'll I'll tell you. I'll tell you about it. I had a. Um, the the bis. I talk. I, when when I was doing my interviews, this is this was before. This is back when Mulcair was the leader. I was doing interviews with. Levine and Top and and. And and others, um, and I asked the question about business opposition to the, how are you going to deal with how are you going to deal with the opposition of big business um, to an NDP government because what happened in, you know when, when they were in power in Ontario they faced a in the 90s they they faced a ruthless onslaught and of course Bob Ray completely capit Bob Ray completely capitulated to the to the to the neoliberal agenda, uh, he'd been elected on a pretty. Ray was actually elected on a pretty left wing platform. He was. And, he betrayed it. And he completely betrayed it, right? They, 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 he completely betrayed it. Spoiler and now, alert: and now, He's always been a liberal. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say. But ironically, the the lesson from the Ray government was to be more conciliatory to business. That was that was the, the that was that was the lesson they took from it. They said this guy, you know, so that they, ever since. Um, we got beaten. You know, we got beaten to. We got beaten up to the by them, and we need to. We need to. We need to. We need to. We need to preempt that kind of onslaught. So that so, was Brad Levine's response, right? Like to placate well, to business. Yes, it was actually because I asked him about this, and I said, I said that what are you going to do? What I asked Levine, how, how are you going to prepare for this? I said, you, social democratic governments get attacked by bit. The, 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 you know, have to deal with this. Have to deal with this, or there's a history of having to deal with this. And he was so. His answer was really revealing. He said that. He basically said, "Well, Greg Selinger's point. Greg Selinger was the was the premier of NDP premier of Manitoba at the time. And he mentioned he said, "Well, we have a responsibility to be clear about our plans, and we don't. This this not. We do not. We this this is this is this needs. This is unnecessary. We make good. We form good relations with business." We're clear about our agenda, and look at Greg Selinger. He's not being attacked. So, in other words, he's yeah, probably it's being like, paid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so exactly. They, they, so this it was it was like a it was a it was a it was a it should never have happened. That is what Levine says. Like this should never have happened. The idea that the business community we should we should have good relationships with the business community. And it should never happen. So the lesson from the Ray These government These folks have was, no clash consciousness at all. None. No, they do not. None. They do not. No None wonder we I mean, can't build any as a party. They don't have they, any. No, I mean they're 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 consultants. They're, they, 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 as we say, I mean there's a talk. They're, they're they're they wine and dine with the you know with the political with the consultant. Yeah, what's Jack right? Singh's worth? Six million dollars. We've now elected that, them. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's um, it's it's extra it's extraordinary. But yeah, but this is this is this is something they don't want to face that kind of opposition, and that's of course, um, you know that that's you know and you know and in contrast, look what Sa- look what Sanders is talking was talking about uh, when he was running. He he you know he knew that his agenda a radical agenda would face the opposition of. Of the of the capitalist class and capitalist media, and he, and he's saying what we need to do. My agenda, you know, he said, fight for this agenda. But it's not about me. It's about we need a powerful movement of activists to fight back when this when when this, when when our progressive agenda, which you know, because at the heart of of socialist and left politics really involves going up against big capital. Any redistrib any serious redistributive program, they're not just gonna they're not just gonna happily just sit there, and you know, accept this. The people these are the people these are the permanent rulers of our country. No, you just have to anticipate it, right, and build a bigger movement that can't be you know stopped by capital. That's yeah. that's the idea. But that's not in their but that's not in their that's not in their idea. They but in, but in, but Levine and 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 company they they they. Just they want to be embraced by you know progressive minded capitalists. Right? <laughs> no, there's want. there's no such thing. Um, but what I think they do now is they walk that fine line a little bit better. It, I mean, it's not serving mm, them electorally. Better, yeah. well, so yeah, Jamie knows that every so often we need a tweet out there that talks about the 1%, right? That slams Galen Weston and talks about uh, record profits during inflation. This is important. So I'm not like slamming him. For yeah, no, it's, a good, it's, 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 it's better than what we've seen. You know, it's, it's some of the best stuff we've seen in years, which is which is tell which is quite telling. But that's it, right, Matt? Like when we introduce private members' bills other than Nikki's or when we actually push for certain legislation, that real fight is gone. And we never see that that Bernie Sanders style call for uh a grassroots movement. Uh that is definitely uh downplayed. But I do think they've done a good job of placating business with their policies and probably all their backroom discussions that they have with folks and labor. um, That's a different episode is playing into that to a degree, I believe, but they know enough that there's, there's just enough out there to trick progressives into that, that kind of beacon that goes off that come on over here. This is your best choice. Um, but it, yeah, there's no substance to it. So business isn't terribly scared off and, and perhaps don't attack them in the way that they do. But then again, who's going to waste their time attacking a fourth party? I mean, in Ontario, to be fair, businesses do. I mean, developers heavily donate to the opposition and mount huge campaigns through third party advertising against the NDP. So like... I don't argue that some of these strategies have been successful, like Horgan does run government. But I guess, you know, folks like Matt, I get this feeling from you as well, but I don't want to speak for you that like our idea of victory is not in winning so many seats when when those MPPs are still passing centrist policies or, you know, uh, coming out with messaging that is terribly damaging to the cause uh talking about woke capitalism or the disregard for 
life in the face of fire, uh, forest fires and COVID and whatnot. Like, so yeah, I think that's the most, the worst betrayal there is, is that, that purposeful disconnect. And you hit it right there. Um, that is one of my biggest frustrations when you talked about, um, people just wanting to convince them to do better if they only knew uh what social how populist socialism would likely be if they only knew this and that it's like they know and we hear Jack and still these articles yeah we they they absolutely uh know they have consultants to tell them what the impacts would be they just don't like them and we asked the same of ford too i see a lot of this in the campaigns against conservative premiers or leaders where it was like if we could only tell them how many people they're killing with their policies like they fucking know they know you need like the class warfare mentality that us versus them that you mentioned that i know that sounds terribly combative to people but that's absolutely what we need like you need to know what side you are on and with the NDP, it's never it's never really clear. I I feel bad, really bad for the folks in BC in particular, uh, and Alberta and Saskatchewan right now. The NDP, uh, well, and Ontario, but I guess I felt bad for us for for a long time that so much work, like so much, goes into to being a, a volunteer in the NDP, like your free time, resources, and really been betrayed. Um, by our successes, right? We're like, yay, we we got you elected. And now I have to continue to lobby you just in the way I would have to lobby the liberals or the conservatives to do the right thing. Like, what was the point? <laughs> what was the point then in all that work? But I guess, yeah. But Matt, like, this has been an eye-opening conversation, but it doesn't really even touch on the amount of content you have poured into that book, uh, From Latent to Sing, can you tell us where folks can get the book? Because there's a lot of NDP members and, and leftists in Canada, I think, that need need this history. Well, uh, the book comes out um, on October 18th. It should be released in stores. Um, and you can also order the book from um, Laura, the, the publisher is Lorimer. Lorimer Press, I should give the... Um, I should look up the article, but the article is Lorimer. Um, go to lorimer.ca. You can also order the book from James Lorimer and Company. Um, I will be having. I have not put them together yet. I have all. I but I have been. Order. You know, there will be some. I will be planning to have some book launches in Toronto, and Vancouver and Hamilton. Um. And I really think that this is a I'm, I'm, I'm obviously biased, but I think this is a, a very timely book. And I think people want to understand how we got in, I mean, a lot of people I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it, people want to understand how what the NDP is and how we've gotten to this place. I think this book will be very helpful. Absolutely. And I think, like I said before, it'd be extremely helpful for those that are trying to advocate within the party and to understand the mechanisms that are in play that are thwarting your efforts. You know, it's not you that's failing. It's not you that isn't doing enough. There are so many factors in play that have deliberately written you out of the process. Um, 
And I think reading this book, it will be the same as when sometimes we hear ex-MPs or MPPs come out and explain just how awful it was in the inside. Um, because it's it's actually designed that way. Uh, Matt, I will be sure, though, to share links to your publisher's site and any other links that would help folks get in touch with you and see your work and support your work. I thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I, I can't believe, you know, with what I've read from your book and what I've heard you say, that this is our first actual conversation with, uh, voice conversation because I think like our frustrations and the idea of empowering people by allowing them to understand the mechanisms at play. Like that's why I'm very open about the processes that they'd rather me not share um, is because people need to understand it. And me and you um, definitely need to talk more because. Oh, please. I, I, I'm thrilled. It's really great to have this conversation and uh, we need to, we need to, we need to keep, we need to keep, t- keep in touch. <laughs> Absolutely, it's been it's been it's been a really great conversation. Most certainly, Matt, and I honestly I cannot promote uh, this book enough. So once October eighteenth hits and we've got uh, you know a live ability to purchase the book, I am going to do my darndest to spread the word because honestly, I'm so happy that you took the time to put in the efforts. Uh, when folks get to see just how much information is in there, and it's kind of like the receipts. So if you're looking for the receipts on how we became a neoliberal party, Matt has provided them to you in a book. You can reference pages when you're on the convention floor fighting back. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a banned book, probably. <laughs> they'll probably they'll probably like search for uh, you search you when you come into the convention and say, yeah, let me let me open your bag and see what you know if you got any uh, you know any um, <laughs> any <laughs> any subversive material. You're gonna lose your observer status, Matt, but. Um, <laughs> we appreciate it nonetheless. I, I hope you you find success in this and, and I hope that it brings a lot of knowledge to people who who need it. So thank you again so much for your time here. And thank you. Thank you, Jess. I really um, enjoyed this interview today and I really found your, you know, certainly speaking to you for the book actually very much inform, helped me understand a lot of, of the recent developments in the 2021 election and that catastrophe. Um, so... I'm really you know, glad you enjoyed the book and, uh, you know, and I really uh, you know, hope that we can connect again soon. We will. Thank you, Matt. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Like in all things that we do, there is a team behind Blueprints of Disruption. I want to give a big thank you to our producers, Santiago, Hello Quintero, and Jay Woodruff. Our show is also made possible by the support of our listeners. So if you appreciate our content and would like to become a patron, please visit us at www.patreon backslash BP of disruption. So if you know of any work that should be amplified or want to provide feedback of our show, please reach out to us on Twitter at BP of disruption. Blueprints of Disruption is a project of New Left Media, an independent employee-owned company.